Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycle of stuff. We are back from break, and welcome to 2020. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. (laughs) So today, I was originally going to talk about where did peace go, and kind of talk about war, but I don't want to, because it's total downer, and I don't want to talk about it. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the Turtus Migratorius. The what? The Turtus Migratorius, and where does it go? What's that, Sarah? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to guess. Okay. <laughs> I, got my, I got my puzzling hat on. Okay. <laughs> you can typically see the Turtus in your backyard in the day during the spring and the summer. The Turtus can be in trees and on fences, but they do also live in forests. They're a pretty common sight throughout the entire United States, Canada, and their breeding range also spreads into Alaska. So they have a huge breeding range. A few have even been seen in Greenland and into Europe, but that's pretty rare. So the turtle eats bugs, and you can usually see them with worms in their mouth. And they, they usually eat bugs uh, in the morning for breakfast and fruit in the afternoon and have been known to become intoxicated... <laughs> When eating fermented fruit, the turtle likes to become intoxicated on fruit. Who doesn't? <laughs> the oldest turtle recorded was 14 years old, but the average lifespan is about two years. If they live past their their first year, they can live up to five years in the wild. But the oldest recorded was 14, and I didn't really find too much information on it. It was probably wild kept or yeah tamed or right their main predator is raptors like owls hawks and eagles but of course cats and dogs can get them too because they're really common like i said the tardis can produce three successful broods of three to five light blue eggs the eggs are really pretty and many insane asylums and waiting rooms and hospitals have been painted in the same color as the turtle's eggs. It's a very popular color. That sentence took a hard left turn. (laughs) (laughs) And so interestingly, so they live in nests. Um, The female is the nest builder, and she will brood the eggs at night as a male will join large roosts of other males at night. So the female is the one laying on the eggs, and she doesn't usually go more than 10 to 15 minutes away from them at any one time, and the male just goes off with his bros in roosts at night. But during the day, he does help her by bringing her food and watching over the babies and everything. So turtle eggs can take 14 days to hatch. They're not cavity dwellers, so if you want to have them nesting in your trees, don't put out houses, build a platform for them because they may use it. They have large nests. Their babies often leave 10 to 14 days after they've hatched, but they are pretty juvenile and immature, so you'll often see them, like, hopping around on the ground, and leave them alone if you see them, like, if you see the little baby turtises hopping around, because their parents are, is probably nearby, and it's probably fine. Also, interestingly, the turtis parents clean the nest during the day and take the poop away, so their nests are pretty 
relatively clean as well as good as a wild animal nest can be, I guess. They can overwinter in their breeding range, but if the winter is mild enough, but generally they go down to Florida, the Gulf Coast, Mexico, and Central America, starting in August and returning in the end of February and March. And when I lived in Siberia, I mean the Midwest, <laughs> I always enjoyed seeing them because they were kind of a harbinger of spring. So where does the tortoise migratorious go? Goes to Mexico during the winter. So Emily Dickinson has a pretty famous song, or not song, a poem about the tortoise, and it begins, I dreaded that first robin so, but he is mastered now, and I'm accustomed to him grown. He hurts a little, though. So our friend Emily Dickinson didn't really like the changing of the seasons because she was pretty depressed and isolated. But that's a pretty famous poem that begins with the robin. The end. I knew it was the Robin. <laughs> <laughs> They're also known in, in Spanish as the Zortzal, Americano, and Mer d'Amérique. I'm not a French speaker, I'm sorry. In French. I like those names better than the Robin. Mm-hmm. That's really neat. <laughs> the tortoise, a migratory. Yeah, because you you know you think about them coming back, and I guess you kind of, but people don't really notice when they leave because mm -hmm. they're more notable when they arrive. They're in their breeding plumage, and they arrive earlier than a lot of other migratory birds. So yeah, in like the beginning of March and end of February, it's mm -hmm. still pretty cold in Siberia. Yeah, ditto Metro Detroit. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robin. <laughs> Yay! And um, they were named after their European counterpart, the European Robin. They're not related to them at all. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. Not They're always, not but for a while I've wondered about that. <laughs> Much like many European uh, pioneers, pilgrims, what's the word I'm searching for? Immigrants. Immigrants, thank you. They came over. They're like, that reminds me of the thing over in the place I left. Let's name it after that. Yeah. that. If they didn't, you know, bring all the Shakespearean birds over, they just brought the names over. Yeah. And so I guess American robins, as I've said, can have been seen in as far as Greenland and I guess over in the UK, but it was really rare. And I guess a hawk ate it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> A poor little intrepid traveler. And on Wikipedia, it called them vagrants. Oh. The vagrants can have been known to go over to Greenland. I'm like, oh, poor little vagrants. Rude. <laughs> the tortoise migratorious. That's quite a, quite a scientific name. <laughs> I also was going to do a political topic. I was going to do super PAC money. But I'm going to save that one for a slightly less depressing week in, <laughs> in the world. And so I'm going to talk about where cigarette butts go. Ew, gross. Uh, so cigarette butts are the most littered item on the planet. And I'm going to get into some numbers of how many are most likely littered annually. But what makes up a cigarette butt? There's... Combusted tobacco, combusted additives, combusted paper, and combusted adhesive. And then there's uncombusted tobacco, additives, paper, and adhesive, as well as uncombusted filters, because filters mm -hmm. on cigarettes are typically intended to not 
burn at all. And uh, if you roll your own cigarettes, and I'm talking specifically about tobacco cigarettes right now, but there are other types of cigarettes. If you roll your own cigarettes, you can optionally use a filter or not. If you have a cigarette butt from a hand-rolled cigarette that doesn't have a filter, then it's just the tobacco additives paper and adhesive, which might just be spit, so. <laughs> Yummy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, nobody, nobody, none of the articles in the research I was doing talked about the spit that's all over cigarette butts, but there's spit all over a cigarette butt. I mean, yeah, it goes into your mouth. Yeah, so that's another thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what kind of paper goes into a cigarette butt? It's called, they're called rag fibers, and I'm making air quotes in an auditory medium. <laughs> Uh, they're made usually from flax, hemp, sisal, rice straw, esparto, which is a type of grain, grass type thing. Oh, so it's it's kind of leftovers, uh, but not necessarily the wood pulp paper we're used to. And part of that is to moderate the burning time. Because if you've got something that's just going to light up and burst into flames in your hand and burn down very quickly, you, you're both not going to be able to get the amount of smoke inhaled that you would want to, and also you might burn the crap out of your hand. Uh, the paper for cigarette uh, rolling papers is partly perforated, and it can include additives to regulate burning, things like calcium carbonate, magnesium carbonate, titanium dioxide, or no, titanium oxide, I'm sorry, sodium, potassium, tartrate, sodium, potassium citrate, and then polyvinyl alcohol glue, which is... What? Yeah, which is... Uh, Elmer's glue. It's the school craft glue. Yeah. Huh. There That's may... all in the paper? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. There may also be flavors added. Uh, it was a rolling joke with a supervisor of mine and myself. Uh, neither of us smoked, and so he would jokingly ask me what flavor of rolling papers I wanted when he would go get a soda at the gas station. <laughs> the mint flavor is nice. I'm not advocating <laughs> smoking. Yeah, and I'm not here to tell you to not smoke either. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest what to do with cigarette butts. I don't really care if people smoke or not. It's just <laughs> not on my list of things to micromanage for right. other people. exactly. So this is not a judgment of anything other than perhaps the smoking industry and people who litter. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, I'm amazed at how many flavors there are in rolling papers. How many? I Like dozens. Okay. There's different types of grape, like purple grape and white grape. <laughs> peach and things so it gets sophisticated i'm just thinking about burning peach or burning grape i already hate the flavor the artificial flavor grape so i think that's where my mind is going no i'm sure there's one there are ones that taste like the grape jolly ranchers or like dimatap and then there's <laughs> ones that taste like no, real dimatap flavored <laughs> i don't know uh the the white grape juice or the i think lychee tastes like the green grapes or white grapes, so I guess. Huh, okay. Anyway, I've, I am not super familiar with the flavor of rolling papers. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> telling a little anecdote about them. You also end up with, so I've, I've talked about the paper, you end up with the filter. Uh, cigarette filters were technically invented in 1925 in Hungary. It was originally crepe paper, but not used majorly until the 1950s. They don't do much in terms of filtration, and I'll get into this, uh, but they do regulate the flow of the smoke. 
So you'll smoke as much as you need to get your nicotine fix, typically. And while the filters may remove in a machine test up to 50% of a lot of cigarette smoke components, people change how they smoke filtered cigarettes to get more cigarette out of their experience. So there hasn't been, there's been enough research of human behavior versus machine behavior in terms of smoking a cigarette to notice that people will alter how they smoke so that they can get more of the cigarette out of the cigarette. Uh, the reason that they started use the cigarette companies started using them in the 1950s, they were sort of a sop to the growing concerns of health issues from cigarettes. This was right around when they started conclusively linking lung cancer rates to cigarette smoking. Yeah. The filters were touted as reducing tar, and I'm making air quotes again, and <laughs> nicotine, because there's no actual like petroleum-based road tar in cigarettes, but there is a resinous residue similar almost to uh, cinders or clinkers. Like, it's uncombusted tobacco residue, essentially. Oh, okay. Or only partially combusted. Mm -hmm. If you've ever had to clean anything that people smoked around for a long time, the junk that's on, whatever you had to clean, is the tar. I'm not going to say how I know this, but when you, like, for instance, if you're smoking... uh, marijuana and you clean your pipe because you don't have any you can also smoke that so yeah there's a resin in the yeah that you burn yeah exactly and it's either uncombusted or partially combusted so it exactly. still has nicotine for for tobacco cigarettes it's still got nicotine and additives and the more the heavier molecules would be in the tar versus the smaller molecules that would have already uh, volatilized off okay So filters also made cigarettes cheaper to manufacture. You have the same length of cigarette, significantly less tobacco. Filters are cheaper than tobacco. So, win-win. The cigarette companies get to act like these cigarettes are light or uh, filtered or low tar or whatever. And people think that this cigarette is better for them than a not filtered cigarette. Hmm. It's probably better to smoke unfiltered cigarettes. Really? Uh, so that's just a personal kind of opinion based on what I've been reading. Uh, that's so fascinating. When I was younger, I used to smoke for fun, and I would have one of my friends' Pall Malls, mm-hmm. and they were unfiltered, and I always felt awful afterwards. Like, it was, like, burning. Fun. no filter. That's, you're getting more combusted tobacco faster and you also potentially if you were used to filtered cigarettes you would smoke an unfiltered cigarette like a filtered cigarette oh see there's so you're not necessarily as used to moderating your smoking behavior that's just a guess huh again this is also from a (laughs) non-smoker i'm only a passive smoker ah i see so i don't smoke anymore but filters tend to be made from cellulose acetate fiber Uh, paper, first ones were cray paper, activated charcoal is sometimes a component. They used to be made out of asbestos or phenylformaldehyde resins. What? Yeah. And I guess the asbestos makes some sense because it's a fire retardant. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And when you didn't know that it would cause things like mesothelioma. Right. uh, Great. So where do cigarette butts go? Nowhere. They stick around. Uh, Much like chewed gum, they don't biodegrade 
very quickly. Mm-hmm. And when they do, it's mostly just breaking up into much smaller pieces of the same thing. Yeah. And so I, uh, <laughs> there's a guesstimated lifespan of a filter in particular of 15 years. Really? Or approximately seven and a half oak leaves. <laughs> Yay! We brought our oak leaf thing back. <laughs> so one place they go is just wherever people throw them. And because, particularly because of indoor smoking bans and concerns about passive smoking, also known as secondhand smoke, a lot more smoking goes on outdoors than it used to. And so butts actually end up outside more often now. Huh. I never thought about that, but yeah. And the filters are made of fibers all kind of packed together. Mm-hmm. In a, so some of the filter actually ends up in your lungs. You will inhale some fibers, particularly if you are a long-time smoker. And then because the fibers are bundled together and they're fairly, light, fairly lightweight, cigarette butts tend to float. And so they can be washed into storm drains or waterways and then out eventually to oceans. And they are the most picked up item in beach cleanups. They sort of become part of the water cycle in that they get picked up by water and floated along. They also become part of the soil because people often throw cigarettes. If they don't throw them on pavement so that it then gets washed into a storm drain and joins the water cycle they throw it on grass dirt gardens whatever right and so that then integrates into the soil and there have actually been studies showing that that will impact the uh, the germination success rate for things like grass and clover Mm -hmm. so their components and compounds become part of wherever they're dropped and so they'll start impacting. And nicotine is a um, an insecticide as well. There are components of nicotine that are usable as insecticides. So it impacts insect communities that way. It They look kind of like food. So a lot of animals eat them. Yeah, See, I've noticed on the beach that the seagulls will try to pick up yeah. cigarette butts. Um, birds, I think birds in particular, and then also some fish will eat them. And then... Oh, no. The constituent chemicals are also toxic to marine bacteria. So nicotine and ethylphenol. No surprise. And then sometimes kids eat them, which can cause nicotine toxicity. So it's not safe for anything to eat cigarette butts. I don't know that that's news to anyone. but (laughs) What? (laughs) Right. I feed my dog cigarette butts now. I don't. I do not. You do not. I do not. She is fed very well, very expensive diet. (laughs) (laughs) So to get an idea of how big an issue cigarette butt litter is, so not the cigarette butts that get thrown away, they get put into ashtrays or cigarette receptacles and bins. It's estimated that there are around 5.6 trillion cigarettes smoked worldwide annually. And around 4.6 trillion of those become litter. In one year in U.S. made cigarettes, only 680,000 tons, so a ton is 2,000 pounds. That's disgusting. Of cellulose acetate were used to produce filtered cigarettes. So that's not even including uncombusted tobacco, paper, and adhesives. 
So that's a lot. Around 1.69 billion pounds of cigarette butts wind up as litter worldwide per year. And that's expensive to deal with as litter. Yeah. Whether you're trying to clean it up, you're trying to keep birds from eating them or children. Don't let the turtles migratorious eat them. Please. Their eggs are so pretty. They are. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's also expensive to deal with as, as landfill material too because it costs money to dispose of things Mm -hmm. and so even the one trillion cigarettes per year that end up in landfills as you know as you engage in cleanup efforts that cost money and then that gets thrown away it's it's a very large waste problem and and then as they biodegrade they often become harder to clean up so the paper can shred into little pieces, but it's still got all kinds of additives, and it's got polyvinyl alcohol glue, and then the filters can break into little fibers, but cellulose acetate is not readily biodegradable because of the acetate component. So there have been two different ways this issue has been, well, three different ways, I'm sorry, that this issue has been tackled. One is encouraging people to just throw away their cigarette butts, which is a starting point, including like handheld ashtrays, increased number of cigarette receptacles, mm-hmm. outdoors, etc. Uh, Keep America Beautiful and Philip Morris worked hand in hand to get more handheld ashtrays and more, oh there's a really pretty cardinal outside, uh, <laughs> more cigarette bins, I guess you could call them. But there was no real info, ga- like gathered about how well that worked so (laughs) they did it that's great uh there's also lobbying for more readily biodegradable filters and paper that's nice yeah and then there's also sort of legislation that people have been trying to get enacted but it often fails of increasing fines and sort of penalties for littering specifically cigarette butts it's not the major issue people think of when they think of cigarettes. They think of cancer, which is not irrational. It's yeah, a big problem. Cancer sucks. Yeah. But the litter is a big problem, and then it also contributes to a lot of weird chemicals being involved in our environment on, on a massive basis that's almost invisible because they're so small. Not the chemicals. I, obviously, that's not really visible to the naked eye, but I'm talking about like cigarette butts. You don't notice them until you notice them, and then you notice they're everywhere. So what can we do about this? Again, I don't care if you smoke or not. It's not on my list of things to do for you to manage anybody's life. So smoke them if you got them. I'm with you there. Like, I have enough trouble managing my own life. Like, you do you. Yeah. If you want to reduce the cigarette butt issue... Here's some things you can do. Yay! You can contact whatever cigarette companies you engage with the most and lobby for biodegradable filters and paper. You can roll your own and not use any filters. You can stop smoking cigarettes and seek other options. There's all kinds of nicotine delivery devices that can help with smoking cessation. And they, my brother uses one that smells like cookies. Yeah. My mom, <laughs> my mom I don't know, she'll probably kill me for mentioning this, but she, to quit smoking, used a a vape pen for a while, uh, and she liked the sugar cookie one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just, please, just throw them away. 
Right. Just keep them on your person until you can throw them away. It doesn't eliminate the problem, but it eliminates the litter problem, which is very helpful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where cigarette butts go. So this is related. I was reading an article about grocery carts and how they studied people. They just basically watched parking lots, from what I can tell, at grocery stores and noticed when people return their grocery carts and there was like a a classification the people that never return the people that return if someone's watching them the people that always return and the people that can't return because it's they're handicapped or Mm -hmm. whatever they would like to but they can't reach it right so their main conclusion was in order to get people to do this to just make the receptacles more convenient and I feel that way about garbage cans. Just put garbage, more garbage cans, spend more money emptying the trash, and you will have less of a litter problem. Because if there's no receptacle, what are you supposed to do? And the problem I, I noticed this in was I was hiking recently, and there was trash everywhere, mm-hmm. and there's no garbage can. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you go to the garbage can, it's full, like the garbage can a mile away. I'm like... Just put more garbage cans out. Yeah, it's... Garbage doesn't just go away, but at least it goes to a place where there's structures in place, both legal and physical, to work with garbage. Right. There's no... There's there's just raccoons on a hiking trail. Right. And they're... I mean, they love interacting with garbage, but it's not like it's good for them. Right. And it, it was mostly, like, dog poop bags. Like, Ew. people had collected their dog poop, but there's no receptacle. They didn't want to carry it with them, so they just threw it on the ground. Well, and I, we have a whole episode about dog poop that Sarah, yes, Sarah researched. Do. And it uh, does not readily biodegrade, so. No. Or not as readily as human waste. No. But I wonder if people assume because they've got those green biodegradable bags or whatever that it'll just go away. Yeah. Which is not the case. And I don't like carrying poop, smelly poop around with me either. There's a bunch of, like, stuff you can get. You can put a pack on your dog if they're able to carry a pack and put put it in the pack. But my dog, she's got arthritis, so we can't put a backpack on her. Um, So I just carry it until I find a trash can, even if that means putting it in my car. Because I'd rather not put poop you know, because I know what happens to it. <laughs> <laughs> and you could, too, if you listen to, I think, our second episode. Yeah, it is our second episode. But, yeah, I think the, the the problem is we just need to spend more money on actually making it easier for people to not litter. Yeah. And then, you know, we have to it's, – it's like a lot of things. You're going to end up dealing with it, whether you want to or not, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And whether it's seeping into your garden or going into your landfill, you're going to have to deal with it. It doesn't just go away. Right. And I talked about landfills, and modern landfills are actually pretty high-tech these days. They're pretty cool. So, I mean, obviously a landfill is eventually maybe going to leak, but there's a lot of stuff in place to make sure it doesn't for a long time. And really, it's littering and having it out in the environment is much worse, like Emily said, than having it in a landfill where it's actually dealt with how it should be. Well, and if there's an increase in demand for landfill space, there could be, and I am being a bit of a Pollyanna here, but there could be further push for improvements in landfill management. So it, it, 
it could continue to become, it could be continued as a rolling process of improvement. Yes. Now, whether or not that actually happens is another ball of wax in and of itself. <laughs> but in, a, in an ideal world. <laughs> so that's where it goes. And you can. Find us at where does it podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can find us at where does it.com. We actually have a website. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, and we've got all our links to our social media. And soon we will have a Patreon. And Yay! We'll, and we'll tout that because everybody's got a Patreon nowadays, so why not us too? Help us pay for all of our hosting fees and everything. Yes. If you want, you don't have to. No. We're still here, whether you help or not. <laughs> You'll get cool goodies, though. Yeah. 